The first of this year's wreath lectures that was delivered on the 30th of November was given by Chimamanda Ndozi Adiki, if I've pronounced that correctly, and her subject was freedom of speech. So I've dealt with Rowan Williams because I listened to it first, and now I'd like to say a little bit about what she says. Again, I find myself in substantial agreement with her, and inasmuch as there is no reference to anything beyond the world, really, in what she says, perhaps more in agreement with her than I found myself in with agreement with Rowan Williams. For the point that she is addressing, a very difficult point, but one of enormous contemporary relevance, because of course it relates to questions of cancel culture and things that you are and are not allowed to say, but the real point that she's making is that we self-censor. Whereas totalitarian authoritarian regimes in China and Russia and elsewhere may exact an enormous price in terms of cruelty from those who speak what is not supposed to be spoken, and particularly those who oppose the prevailing powers, she is talking about social censorship. The fact that there are certain things that to say them is to be on the receiving end of not just dissenting views, but views that are intended to wound and even ultimately to destroy. And in some cases they do destroy because there have been well-documented cases of people who have committed suicide because they find themselves in a tsunami of abuse, much of it designed to be personal and retributive. And that the result of this has been on university campuses around the world, in all sorts of places, on social media and elsewhere, the people have become so conscious of what may arise from what they say that they have self-censored. And she makes the point, I think it's a, a very interesting point, worth more consideration, I shan't go into it here other than to mention it, that social media, whatever kind, have very much come to fulfil a role in our lives that makes them rather like utilities. We can't live without water, electricity, gas, oil, whatever it may be. And we can't live, really, most of us nowadays without social media, not if we want to remain connected to the world in some measure. And so she makes the point that perhaps social media shouldn't be in the hands of entrepreneurs and of the capitalist system. Although, of course, utilities are, as we're all learning, to our cost, literally and metaphorically, at the moment. Anyway, Chimamanda makes the point that this can all be, as you might say, crystallised, summarised in a question that she was asked by a student after a book reading who came up to her and, apropos some 
interview that she had given, asked her why she had said what she had said. And her answer was, well, I said it because it's true. And the student's reply was, yes, but why did you say it even though it's true? And the response to this was to ask the question, why do we suppress the truth when we know it is the truth? I'm going to leave aside the question, what is truth for now, because I've dealt with it so many times elsewhere. Why, even when we are convinced that something is true, might we repress it? And the answer she comes to is because we fear the social disapproval that it might generate. And that, she thinks, is very dangerous. And it leads to all kinds of censorship, self-censorship, public censorship, but also the censorship of the press, the censorship of publishers. She makes the point that there are now sensitivity consultants who will read manuscripts in order to excise from them anything that could conceivably give offence. Now we'll talk about offence perhaps another time, but the notion that publishers are so constrained by such considerations, obviously they want to sell their books, but should they really be employing sensitivity consultants to take out of books anything that could conceivably give offence or that can be seen to be offending against some prevailing social sensibility? Well, I think the question is rhetorical. Shima Manda thinks, no, they shouldn't, and thinks that the consequence that this will have and is already having is that it will so curtail creative, free thinking, what she calls, and I'm now paraphrasing again, thinking that goes nowhere, everywhere, and anywhere, but that thinking which is necessary for the creative life, because out of that, and you'll know that I love this as a central theme, out of that come the new ideas through which human beings self-regenerate and the human race regenerates. And I think it's interesting to see the parallels there with the totalitarian, authoritarian regimes that in their censorship of what people think and say, and of course do, find themselves in an uncreative, lethargic, unproductive political economy. It's certainly true of Russia, which apart from its oil and gas has a remarkably small footprint on the human scale. And funnily enough, it's also true of China, because although it has become much more creative, it's largely bought that creativity by managing to export its young people to foreign universities and then bring them home again, the creative thinking having been done without upsetting the apple cart at home. I'll be back shortly.